Bible study. So with that said, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 at the top of the page. And the Bible says, you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it's from this scripture that we get the title of our Bible study tonight. God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's really what it is. When God wants to save us, when God saves us, he's really bringing us out of a dark place and bringing us into his light, which is so marvelous. Now, have you ever walked out of a dark room into the sunshine? Or maybe like in the middle of the night, you know, you get a craving for something uh, or you're just really thirsty and you go into the bathroom or you go to the refrigerator and you turn on the light or you open the refrigerator door and what happens? Initially, it's, it's overwhelming, right? It's blinding. But of course, we, we are sitting here today with plenty of light in this room and none of us are squinting or trying to cover and shield our eyes from the light. And in a very similar way, when we look into the scriptures, the brightness of truth can sometimes be a little painful, a little overwhelming. However, as our spiritual eyesight becomes adjusted, we could then enjoy walking in the light. Now, this Bible study is designed to allow us to walk into the marvelous light of the Word of God. We'll be doing this by journeying through scriptures in the New Testament, imagining that we are back in the days of Jesus and his apostles, listening to them teach and preach the plan of salvation. And in order to do this, we're going to focus on three main categories or divisions of the New Testament in chronological order. Those categories are the Gospels, and the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they cover the words and works of Jesus Christ. Then there's the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, and they cover the actions and preaching of the apostles. In fact, if you want to read about what the first church was like, read the book of Acts. If you want to read about how people are saved, you're going to read from the Acts of the Apostles. And then we're going to go into the epistles, which is just a fancy word for letters. We're going to go into the letters, which cover the letters that were written by the apostles to the churches that they started in the book of Acts. Now, we, we believe that the scriptures are divinely inspired. They're not of private interpretation like 2 Peter chapter 1, 20 and 21 says. Therefore, every effort has been made to present the pure word of God. We don't want to add to it. We don't want to take away from it. In fact, the Bible gives very stern warnings in Deuteronomy, in Proverbs, and actually also in the book of Revelation, that if anyone adds or takes away from the word of God, that God will take away your name from the book of life. Now, it's not my intention to diminish anyone's personal relationship that you might have with the Lord. I'm not here to take away from your experiences or what you have, have heard or learned, but listen, Neither do we want to convince you of our own personal ideas either or a certain denomination. I simply desire to share the truth just like it is written in Scripture. And only by claiming the Bible as our only authority really can any of us be confident of our salvation. For it's the word of God and not the traditions of men that will judge us all in the end. So we're going to begin this journey by looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 and 16 which is provided right there on the page for us. It says that from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise 
unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, all of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed, and it's profitable, profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now, I want you to consider that Scripture. First and foremost, this book is different than any other book. It's able to make you wise, and you might think, well, I could read a lot of books that could help me become wise, like Total Money Makeover from Dave Ramsey. <laughs> it could teach me how to be wise about financial stewardship. What's the difference about this book? Well, this book, when you read it, it could help you be wise unto salvation. It tells you how to be saved. And furthermore, it will give you the ability to know what is right teaching. That's what doctrine means. Reproof, which means you, it's going to tell you what you're doing wrong. It's done that to me a lot of times. It's not just going to tell me what I'm going to do wrong. It's going to tell me how to make it right, correction. And then lastly, it's going to give me instructions for righteousness, which means it's going to instruct me how to live right. Not only is it going to tell me what I did wrong, how to make it right, but it's going to tell me how to live right from that point forward. All right, are we ready? Let's go to John chapter 1. We're going to have the scripture on the screen, but maybe you have your Bible and you can look at it in your Bible as well. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, and then verse 14. Is anyone brave enough to read this out loud? All right, I'll just do it. No takers. Okay. So in the beginning was the word. Now, I will say this. If I was teaching this Bible study, I prefer, if they're comfortable with it, I prefer for them to read it for themselves. There's, there's a certain sense of, 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 of revelation and power that comes from them reading it out loud with their own voice and seeing it for themselves. So you want to make sure that you have a Bible, they have a Bible, and you could read through this together. So verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and what's it say? The word was God. Verse 2, it goes on to say the same, the word, was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5, and the light shines in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Now, let me pause here and just say this. First of all, if you read the beginning of Matthew and Luke, it's going to talk about the birth of Jesus Christ. Mark, he's a very impatient writer. He, he doesn't spend any time with the birth of Jesus Christ. He cuts straight to the, the life of Jesus Christ uh, as an adult. But but John approaches Jesus very differently than the other gospel writers. He is trying to very clearly show you that Jesus was not just a man, not just a prophet, but that Jesus was God. And so he introduces us to Jesus in these scriptures in chapter 1 to Jesus in a different way. In fact, if you compare John 1.1 to Genesis 1.1, you'll notice striking similarities in the beginning. And what he is making clear is that from the very beginning, the Word was with God. In fact, the Word was God. Have you ever heard the saying, a man is only as good as his Word? You really can't separate a man or a person from their Word. 
And what it's saying is that that word or that logos, the thought of God, it was God. The plan, the thought, the words, the word of God, it was God. Now watch what happens to the word, the thought that was God. What's it say in verse 14? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who do you think that's talking about? Jesus Christ. So we see that Jesus is the word, the word of God. So let's fill in our blank. So it says the blank which was in the beginning and was God became flesh. What would you fill in the blank with? Word. The word which was in the beginning and was God became flesh. Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought this. Maybe you've heard someone say this before, or maybe you thought it. But, you know, you, you look at, you know, living for Christ, going to church, and you think, man, that's a, that's a pretty boring life. You know, I don't know if I could ever live according to that book, you know, and do, do what it said and what's said in there. Uh, you know, that seems like a pretty dull life. Does it? I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ is a historical figure that lived 2,000 years ago. And we are still learning about him 2,000 years later, talking about him. Literally millions, millions of people follow his life and teachings. Would you characterize that as dull and boring? No. But yet he is the word in flesh. He brought the word into life. Your life living according to this word, will never be boring. It will never be dull. In fact, it's the most exciting lifestyle you could ever live. So Jesus Christ is the living word of God. Let's look at some scriptures that we skipped over. We're going to look at verse 11, 12, and 13. And in these three scriptures, we're going to notice something extraordinary that is offered to us. First it says, Jesus, or he, so know who it's talking about. Jesus came unto his own. Who's his own? Well, it's no, it's no mystery. Jesus was born an Israelite or Jewish person. Jesus came to the Jews, and the Jews, his own, did not receive him. They rejected him. But it goes on to say, but as many as did receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, I want you to underline that in your Bible his name. You are going to notice there is an emphasis time and time again on the name, especially in regards to this birth that the scriptures are talking about. Verse 13, it says, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. That's how we're all born. We were born of blood. We were born because someone wanted to have a child or wanted to get together with someone. I'm not, let's, let's keep this PG here. Right? It's blood, flesh, will of man. But the, he's introducing us to a completely different birth. We're born of God. So how do we become the sons of God? We're born of God, or it's a supernatural birth. Let's fill in the blank. If we believe in him and receive him, Jesus gives us power or the ability the ability to become the sons or the children of who? Of God 
by a supernatural birth. He spoke further about this new birth one night to a ruler of the Jews. So we're going to turn now to John chapter 3 and verse 1. John chapter 3 and verse 1. The Bible says that there was a man of the Pharisees, a religious man, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a man who had position and power. He came to Jesus by night, and he said to Jesus, Rabbi, which means teacher. He says, we know you are a teacher that's come from God, and no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, he came to Jesus at nighttime. Why do you think he did that? Because in his social group, it wasn't popular to be around Jesus and talk to Jesus unless you were speaking in a, in a disrespectful tone. So he came to Jesus by night. There was a little bit of intimidation, so he went under the cover of darkness, and he comes to Jesus as a man of the Pharisees, a ruler. But notice what he says. We know. You could circle that word or underline, we. So he's, he's not just speaking personally. He's speaking for a group of people that have come to an understanding or at least a conclusion, you're a teacher, but you're not just any teacher. You've come from God. Why? Because we've seen, we have watched you, and we've seen these miracles that you've done. <laughs> now, what does Jesus do? Is he like, oh, you know, my goodness, that's really nice of you to say. No, he, he, he actually seems, seems to almost ignore the compliment and just kind of, Start in a different direction. He says to, to, to Nicodemus, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born, again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You want to talk about what you see, Nicodemus? You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So here's this, this new birth. Now, I want you to put your mind all the way back there with Nicodemus, you've never heard of being born again. You've never heard of a second birth. And Jesus just introduces you to a radically new concept you've never heard before. And so what is Nicodemus' response? Nicodemus says, how? How is that possible? How can someone be born again when they're already grown? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? It was difficult for mom the first time around. I don't think she's going to volunteer to do it again. And I'm grown. How is this even possible? You're talking about being born again. How is, I know how I was born the first time. How can I be born a second time? Jesus says, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the, into the kingdom of God. I want you to notice the first time Jesus speaks, he says you can't see the kingdom. The second time, he says you can't enter the kingdom. The first time, he just says you must be born again. The second time, he clarifies what the new birth consists of. It's two elements of one birth. He says you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And no doubt, as Jesus is sharing this with Nicodemus this evening, he sees the puzzled look. On Nicodemus's face still, even after he says, you've got to be born of water and the Spirit. So Jesus proceeds to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is humanly born is human. But that which is born of the Spirit, large S, the Spirit of God, is spirit. 
He says, don't be surprised. Don't marvel that I said unto you, you must be born again. If you still have your pen or highlighter handy, circle or underline the word must. There is no wiggle room with that. You have, Jesus says you have to be born again. To do what? To see or enter the kingdom of God. So no one could enter into the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? I'm so glad you asked. What's a kingdom? A kingdom is a domain where a king rules. The kingdom of God is where God is king and he rules over that domain. What does that sound like? That sounds like heaven to me, doesn't it? The place where God is king, in order for me to enter there, I have to be born again. Which means to be born of water and the spirit. Nicodemus, no doubt, still has this perplexed look on his face. So Jesus proceeds to clarify and to try to bring it home. And he reveals an unknown by referencing a known or familiar thing. He says, Nicodemus, he says, the wind, it blows where it wants to, right? And you could hear the sound of it. I, I picture myself in the setting. They're on a rooftop. It's dark. Jesus is talking to him. He's having this discussion. And he still sees this perplexed look on Nicodemus' face, and he hears the wind blow through some of the trees nearby. You hear that? It's the wind. You could hear it, can't you? Now, you don't know where it's coming from and where it's going. He says, just like that, that's what it's like when someone is born of the Spirit. You won't be able to see it, but you'll be able to hear the sound thereof. Now, I promise I won't get super deep into the Greek with you, but the word sound in the Greek from where we get the English translation, the word sound is phone, not phony <laughs> as in fake, but phone as in phonics. You remember hooked on phonics? Back when education was good? No, I'm just a bad joke. Or how about telephone? The word phone means voice or sound. So you could actually look at that scripture and say, you could hear the voice of it. That's what it's like when someone is born of the Spirit. Let's fill in our blank. Jesus told Nicodemus that everyone who wanted to see or enter the kingdom of God must be born again of what and the what? Water and the Spirit. Now let's pick it up. Jesus is still having a conversation with Nicodemus. Let's look at verse 16. Same chapter, John 3. Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus. And let's see what it says. For God so loved the world. Oh, you know this scripture, don't you? That's right. It's, it's, it's the scripture that, that's painted on the bare man's chest at the football game. Right? Everyone knows John 3.16. But what if you ask that same person that holds the sign outside the courthouse, John 3.16, what if you ask them, who was Jesus talking to in verse 16? What did Jesus say in verse 8 of John chapter 3? Would they know? Here's, here's, here's a mistake that you must avoid. You must avoid making the mistake of taking Scripture, just the ones you like or the ones you're familiar with, and running with them and forgetting all the rest. There's a president. His name was Thomas Jefferson. And there's a Bible of his in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. It's real thin. 
It's not because they made the letters real small, the font real small. It's because his personal Bible was accompanied with a pair of scissors every time he read it. And the parts that he didn't deem important or he didn't agree with, can you guess what he did? He cut them out. We can't make that same mistake. Remember what I said at the beginning of the Bible Bible study. You can't add, neither should you take away. And I'm afraid that a lot of people, even whole denominations, could take this one solitary scripture, and that's all they want. Forget all the rest of the Bible. But let's look at this scripture. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, there's the key right there, in him. There's a difference. A lot of people believe on him, but do not believe in him. They keep Jesus at a distance. But are you willing to believe and live within him? Believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son. Here we are introduced to the mission of Jesus Christ. He sent his son not into the world to to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Through who? Through Jesus Christ. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. If someone re- refuses to believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus isn't coming with a condemning message. But if you refuse to believe on the one, the only one that's able to save you, you're condemning yourself. Because he has not believed, look at the emphasis again, in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Let's look on. It says, and this is the condemnation. Why would they do this? Why would they refuse the Savior? Because they love darkness rather than light, and their deeds were evil. They know if they step in the light, their deeds or their works are going to be exposed. And they're ashamed of them. So they would rather love and live in darkness. But everyone that does evil hates the light, lest his deeds should be made manifest or reproved. Going on, it says, next scripture. But he that does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. You know what it takes for someone to be saved is a willingness to allow God to see everything and to change your lifestyle. Let's, Let's look at what it says. Jesus also told Nicodemus that whosoever what? Believes or believeth, modern English would be believes with an S, believeth in him shall have eternal life. Now, when you look at these scriptures, it seems like there's two different requirements for salvation. On the one hand, he says, you must be born again. On the other hand, he says, if you just believe. Yet we find that this is not a contradiction. The next scripture explains how believing is related to experiencing this second birth or this new birth of the Spirit. John chapter 7, verse 7 through 39 John chapter 7 and verse 37. Now again, remember, we're trying to put ourselves right there in the story. So imagine yourself in this narrative. It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried. Now I want want you to make a mental note. Anytime you're reading the Gospels and you read that Jesus cried, I want you to pay close attention. Because why does someone cry? Because they want attention. It's no different with Christ. He is wanting your attention. Jesus cried, said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. 
He that believes on me, there it is, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So quick, quick context here. The Bible says in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jewish festivals, most of them would last several days. And they would kind of build on each day and become greater and greater until it was the last day and it was the best day. And here, it's that same thing. It's the biggest day. It's the grand finale of the festival. Everyone has had plenty to eat, plenty to drink. And it's on this occasion that Jesus decides, I'm going to stand up now. And I'm going to cry out so everyone can hear, hey, are you thirsty? Thirsty. We've got plenty to eat. We've got plenty to drink. Why are you talking about being thirsty? He says, if you're thirsty, come unto me. And I have no doubt that when Jesus shared those words, there was somebody there that got it, that realized I've had all I could eat and all I could drink, but yet there's still an emptiness inside of me. That's what he was communicating to. The void that is in people's lives, even after they have been filled to the brim with everything that this life could offer them. Now, the beautiful thing about this text in the gospel according to John is that the writer John, inspired by God, he writes in the next scripture in hindsight and reflects on what Jesus was saying. It says, but this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him, who? Jesus, should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So when he talked about living waters, John says he was talking about the Spirit. And everyone who believes should receive. It is an expected result of believing. Let's fill in our blank. Here we discover that if we believe on Jesus, we will receive his what? His Spirit. And so we find that the scriptural belief that the Bible talks about is more than just a change in the way we think. It also results in a scriptural experience. Faith You see, faith motivates us to obey, and obedience brings God's acceptance and blessing. I'll end with this last scripture from John chapter 12. We're out of time. John chapter 12 and verse 35. John chapter 12, verse 35. The Bible says, Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. We're going to find out what he's talking about. He's he's talking about this light. This light is with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness does not know where he's going, knows not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light. Are you getting it? Who do you think the light is? Jesus. That you might be the children of the light. How How do you become the children of the light? If you believe in the light, if you walk in the light. These things spake Jesus. Now, he did something really strange. It's a mystery to me. He spake these things. He departed, and he did hide himself from them. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Let's pick it up, verse 42. The Bible says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, They did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. 
This is a fascinating scripture to me. You see, Jesus is, is sharing these things. Listen, I'm with you. Believe on me. Walk with me. Darkness is coming. This is your opportunity. And then he, and then he hides himself. He's, he's gone. And no doubt, it's like he stepped out of the room and a conversation ensued where they're talking among themselves. And no doubt the loudmouths are voicing their opinion. That guy's crazy. And we need to get rid of him. Who would ever believe his words? Who would ever follow him? And in that group was an introvert who thought, I will. <laughs> Didn't say it, just thought it. Like the loudmouth speaking up and his posse is like right behind me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would believe in him? But someone in that group is like, man, I, I believe in him. Let's read on. Verse 44. The Bible says, Jesus cried. What? I thought he was hiding. Where did he come from? There he is. It's like he heard that still, that little voice in the introvert's heart. And he cries. There it is. Pay attention. He cried and he said, he that believes on me believes not on me, but on him that sent me. Everyone say, what? You believe on me, you don't believe on me, but you believe on him that sent me. What are you talking about, Jesus? Go on to the next scripture. He that sees me sees him that sent me. What's he getting at? He says, listen, if you believe on me, you're not believing on just flesh and bones. You're not just believing on a man. You're believing on the one that sent me. In fact, if you see me, you see the one who sent me. You see, I'm come a light into the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I, I'm not going to judge him, Jesus says. I came not to judge the world. My purpose here right now is to save the world. But here's the warning, verse 47. He that rejects me and receives not my words has one that judges him. Well, who is it? What's going to judge him? The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So let's fill in our last couple blanks. Today, just as in Jesus' day, many believe on him, but they will not confess him. Why? Because they're afraid of what others will do or say. They don't want to be, commit social suicide, right? They, 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 they like people liking them. And they don't want to be different. They don't want to be the outcast. Verse, uh, the next one, in response to their fear, fearfulness, Jesus warns that his what will judge us? His word. So we must be very careful not to reject his word, but rather we should believe and obey it no matter what others do or say. And to that, everyone should say amen. Amen. We're going to stop there for tonight. Why don't we stand together? We have, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, is the day of Pentecost, 50 days from Passover. You could read about Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and what it means to the New Testament church. I'd like to believe that on Pentecost Sunday, not this Sunday but next Sunday, we're going to experience a Pentecostal experience. Of course, we want to experience that every Sunday, every time we gather together. But I would love for us with this Bible study and, and thinking about that, the truth that we learn in, in the, this Bible study and the scriptures 
that we will prepare ourselves and also perhaps even teach someone else this Bible study as we prepare for Pentecost Sunday. Somebody say amen. Amen. Why don't we pray right now and ask the Lord to help us to reach our family, to reach our relatives and our neighbors. Father, we come before you right now so thankful for your word, thankful for my church family, thankful, Lord, for this Bible study that I've had the privilege to teach literally dozens and dozens of times. And I've had, I've had the opportunity to see revelation come to people where they realize they need to be born again. They need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of their sins and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, which will be accompanied by the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues. I pray, O oh Lord, that this Bible study will empower and also inform those that are here tonight and next Wednesday night to have a confidence in their own salvation and also a confidence in teaching the plan of salvation to other people that they care about and that you allow us to reach. I pray over the coming weeks, Lord, that we will have an opportunity to teach this Bible study, to love the lost, to invite them to church, and to see and witness them be born again just like we have been. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.